All right, thank you so much for attending our Bible study for this evening. We're going to go through another episode of the BHP. BHP, of course, is the Bible History Project, and we're going through the chapters of the book of Revelation as of late. And so we're going to, we're still studying the book of Revelation chapter 6, but this time we will focus on the sixth seal of the book of Revelation. Now we've studied and uncovered the first five seals in our previous episodes of the BHP, and just as a way of review, let's look at the fulfillment of the first five seals. The first seal is fulfilled in capital in the papal supremacy of the Roman Pontiff, eight dollars and five thirty-four A.D., which was followed by the second seal, which was fulfilled in terrorism in one thousand A.D. The third seal, feudalism and serfdom, twelve seventy-nine to thirteen fifty-one was all about death, taking uh, the lives of one fourth of the people. And this was manifested in three ways, uh, the war, famine, pestilence, corresponding to the Mongol conquest, the great famines, and the Black Death. And from 1524 to 1651, we have the martyrdom of the Word of God uh, implemented by the Catholic Church when they were in power, led by the Roman Pontiff, especially as they initiated the works of Inquisition, killing many thousands of people who were considered heretics and did not agree to the teachings of the Roman Pontiff. So this was from 1524 to 1651. And so we have the first five seals. You notice they are fulfilled in history sequentially according to the description of the prophecy found in the book of Revelation. So now we are ready to open the sixth seal. So the Lamb opens the sixth seal. What happens? What events are scheduled to take place? Let's read the book of Revelation 6, 12 to 17. I look when he opened the sixth seal. First, Yahushua, the Lamb of God, is the one opening the seals. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so those are the events are to take place during the sixth seal. You can probably notice that the events of the sixth seal is not just one event, but a series of events that we believe was fulfilled sequentially. We will look at it one by one, look at the details provided by the prophecy, and look for patterns in history to see whether or not this was fulfilled and if it fits our framework, our timeline, that we have uncovered so far. So let's go ahead and look at the summary of the sixth seal. In summary, there's a great earthquake. The sun becomes black or is darkened and the moon becomes like blood. Stars of heaven fall to the earth. The sky receded as a scroll. Every mountain and island moved out of its place. Great men hidden caves for fear of judgment. So these are the events associated with the sixth seal. So let's go ahead and go through one by one and see if we can assign dates of their fulfillment as we study also historical records 
for this seal, the sixth seal. Let's begin with the great earthquake. Bible mentions when the sixth seal was opened, the first event is a great earthquake. Now, of course, there's been many earthquakes in the past, right? I mean, and there's going to be great earthquakes that will, will happen in the future because earthquakes are often associated with Yahuwah's activity. This is why even when Yahuwah gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, there was a earthquake. And throughout the events of the history of man, in the future as well, we will find out that earthquakes are associated with activity from Yahuwah, activity from Yahusha, especially as it relates to the second advent of our King Yahusha. So it's not surprising that we have an earthquake here. There's always plenty of earthquakes in the Holy Bible. What, when do we believe this earthquake was fulfilled? Well, it must be after the fulfillment of the uh, martyrdom for the Word of God, which took place from the 15th to the 16th century. So we believe this event took place after the 16th century or the 17th century. And so this is what we can find, which we believe is a fulfillment of this great earthquake. From the book, The Physical Earth by William Nirenberg, page 28 to 29, in 1755, the city of Lisbon was reduced to rubble in six minutes during one of the most devastating earthquakes ever recorded. The city withdrew from the harbor and rushed back as a 17-meter uh, high, 55-feet tsunami, drowning hundreds. Smaller aftershocks caused landslides, fires broke out, and by nightfall, 60,000 people were dead. According to some estimates, it could have been as many as 100,000. The shocks from this earthquake were felt over an area nearly 40 times as large as the United Kingdom. So there was an earthquake that is noteworthy and kind of stands out in history. And this was the earthquake that took place in 1755 in the city of Lisbon in Portugal, right by Spain. And so it's at the heart of Catholicism. And so this earthquake drew the attention of many people, not only because it was a powerful earthquake, but because of the casualties that happened afterwards, 60,000, 100,000 people, and also it was very extensive, covering 40 times uh, the area of the United Kingdom. And according to Wikipedia, uh, though commonly known as the earthquake of Lisbon, it is extended to the greater part of Europe, Africa, and America. It was felt in Greenland, in the West Indies, in the island of Madeira, in Norway, in Sweden, Great Britain, in Ireland. So it's pretty extensive, right? It's not really just located in Lisbon, it may have been the center, but it affected so much land mass. It pervaded an extent of not less than 4 million square miles. In Africa, the shock was almost as severe as in Europe. A great part of Algiers was destroyed in a short distance from Morocco, a village containing 8 or 10,000 inhabitants was swallowed up, a vast wave swept over the coast of Spain and Africa, engulfing cities and causing great destruction. This is why so many people in history consider the earthquake in Lisbon to be a, 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 an earthquake of note because of its devastative effects. In fact, because of this earthquake in Lisbon, what did it prompt people to do? Again, in Wikipedia, the event was widely discussed by European Enlightenment philosophers and inspired major developments in theodicy and in the philosophy of the sublime. As the first earthquake studied scientifically for its effects over a large area, 
it signaled the birth of modern seismology. Geologists today estimate the Lisbon earthquake approached magnitude nine on the Richter scale. And so it was one of the most devastating, strongest earthquakes, and it also led to the scientific study of earthquakes. What do we call that field of study? Seismology. Notice we see events, they often represent the, the starting points of certain fields of study. And so it represents a way of telling the people that because of this event, the, the people's emotions, people's intellect are so captivated, they develop into a field of its own, like so seismology develops. So we believe the significance of the Lisbon earthquake and its timing makes it the prime candidate for the fulfillment of the earthquake described in the book of Revelation. So Lisbon earthquake, November 1, 1755. And so why are we sure also that the Lisbon earthquake was the fulfillment of the sixth seed event? Because it was followed by the event that was prophesied by the Holy Scriptures. And that event is the sun becoming black, a sackcloth of hair, and the moon becoming like blonde. Well, one might say, well, doesn't that happen all the time? Don't we have eclipses all the time? Well, this is not an eclipse. What was this event and why was it so dramatic and emphatic? Let's read the fulfillment. Remember, the fulfillment of the, the earthquake was 1755, so we can expect that this event is going to take place after 1755. And so this is what we have an entry in the Encyclopedia Americana called Dark Day, the name given in the United States on May 19, 1780. So we have 1780, which is past 1755. 1755, the list of the 1780, we have this event that is called the Dark Day. Why was it called the Dark Day? Because when on that day, when the light of the sun was obscured without any apparent cause, on the, on the day mentioned, the sun rose with normal brightness until about 9 o'clock in the morning. And darkness gradually settled over the large area of New England. New England is like an area that encompasses six, east, uh, six uh, eastern states, including Massachusetts and other states. I'm not too familiar with New England. It's a large area and encompasses about uh, several states. Uh, anyways, it was 9 o'clock in the morning. And then darkness gradually settled over the large area of New England, causing much alarm and in some places the cessation of outdoor labor. It lasted throughout the day, and in the evening, take note, the moon was reported to have been blood red. And so an unusual event took place, and it was so unusual, it became uh, a subject in the encyclopedia, right? It became part of history. And it's a mysterious event called the dark day. What's so mysterious about it? Well, the day started out normal. Nine o'clock in the morning, when you go outside, it's pretty bright, right? But eventually at nine o'clock in the morning, it becomes dark. And the dark takes you all the way to past evening. And in the evening, the moon becomes blood red. And when you read the accounts of people who were alive to witness the dark day, they wrote in their journals, they wrote in their diaries, and when you kind of uncover and look at what they wrote about, 
you're going to see this was in, indeed mysterious. And so if you go to the website, Unsolved Mysteries, you will find entries concerning the dark day. And this is what they have to say. You can find references of this in many New England count history books that go far back on unusual physical happenings. May 19th uh, dawned as bright and clear as usual, except there, there appeared to be a haze to the southwest. The haze grew darker and soon the whole sky was covered with a thick cloud that was traveling northeast rapidly. It reached the Canadian border by mid-morning. Meanwhile, the eastern part of New York, Maine, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Connecticut were becoming darker. By one o'clock, one o'clock, that's when it's really bright, right? One o'clock, it was so dark that one couldn't see a white sheet of paper only inches from your face. That's how dark it was at 1 p.m. outside. Apprehension soon turned to panic. Schools were dismissed and lanterns and candles were lighted in homes along the streets. New Hampshire's town history reports the chickens and birds went to roost frantically. Many people gathered in churches to pray and await what we assume was Judgment Day. That night, the darkness continued and it was noted by the light of the lanterns, everything seemed to have a faint greenish hue. A full moon due to rise at nine did not show until after 1 a.m. when it appeared high in the sky and blood red. Shortly afterwards, stars began to appear and the following morning, the sun was as bright as ever, as if the strange 14 hours of darkness in New England had never happened. And so you have lots of testimonies. If you go back and look at the history books from the various towns in New England, and you read the people's diaries and journals, you will find thousands of testimonies of eyewitnesses about the dark day, 14 hours of unusual events. Noontime, 1 p.m., you can even read a white sheet of paper just in front of your face, right? And at night, when they finally see the moon at 1 a.m., it was blood red. And so what could have caused this dark day? Could it have been an eclipse? Well, the only eclipse recorded was on May 29, 1780, 10 days after the mysterious event occurred. And also, when you think of an eclipse, it doesn't last for 14 hours, does it? And even if there's an eclipse, you can still read a piece of paper in front of you. Right? So this was not an eclipse. And so lots of theories float around, but that's all it is, theories. No one knows for sure what exactly happened on May 19, 1780, New England's darkest day. So we have November 1, 1755, the earthquake in Lisbon, the dark day of New England, May 19, 1780. So what event is going to happen next according to the book of Revelation? Well, verse 13, it says, And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Now, when the Bible speaks of the stars falling into the heavens, we know it's not actual literal stars because literal stars are like the sun. Stars are massive, many times more massive than the earth. It's impossible for the star to fall to the earth. If at all, the, the earth, it falls to the sun because the star has a greater gravitational pull, right? And so we don't, the stars don't fall to the earth, they fall to the earth. And so what was seen by the Apostle John and what he wrote about was a vision 
that looked like stars were falling to the earth. And he even says and describes the way it looks like a fig tree drops its little figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. So this is what the Apostle John sees. He writes it down. And so these are stars of heaven falling to the earth. Was this fulfilled? Well, according to this the new Encyclopedia of Science, on the night of November 12, uh, 1833, or November 13, 12, 13, hundreds of thousands of meteors were seen all over the eastern parts of the United States, also there in New England. Um, it was after this meteor shower that astronomers first began to make serious study of meteors. So something happened on November 12, November 13, 1833. What happened? Thousands of meteors were seen all over the eastern parts of the United States. Now, what made this meteor shower very significant? Let's read the new International Encyclopedia. One of the most remarkable facts connected with shooting stars is that certain appearances of them are periodic. On most occasions, they are sporadic, which means they appear singly and traverse the sky in all directions. At other times, they appear in swarms of thousands, and these swarms are periodic or recur on the same days of the year. Attention uh, was first directed to this fact on occasion of the prodigious swarm, which appeared in North America between November 12 and 13, 1833, described by Professor Olmsted of New Haven. The stars fell on this occasion like flakes of snow to the number, as was estimated, of 240,000 in the space of nine hours. That's a lot of meteors. That's a lot of falling stars. How many here have seen a falling star before? Yeah? How many falling stars did you count? How many of the nine? You're lucky you might find one or two or three usually that's about the right number but on this day it was very different because on this day 240,000 in the span of nine hours were seen and when they counted 240,000 the first part of the uh, meteor shower that's when a whole bunch of them took place at the same time which is why when it was described it was like flakes of snow to the number like the figs are shaking, are falling from the tree and shaken by a mighty wind. And so this is what was described of the people who witnessed uh, the falling stars, hundreds and thousands of them. And those who studied it, eventually because of this event, people began to scientifically study all about meteors, just like people began to study all about earthquakes and the wisdom of quake took place. And so this was a significant event, not only because it was unprecedented, but it also sparked an interest in the scientific study of meteors. Eventually, they called this meteor shower the Leonidas because it came from, we said, the constellation of Leo. <laughs> so that's where it came from. And so they describe this, and they say it happens every time, you know, every 33 years, the swarm, but not of the same magnitude anymore. This event was really, really unique because of the intensity of the stars, 240,000 in the space of nine hours, concentrated in the first parts of the initial falling of stars that took place. And so this fits the description of the Apostle John when he was describing it as a fig tree drops its little figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. But Apostle John doesn't stop there. He continues to describe this falling of the stars, and he calls it 
the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And so when Apostle John gave this description, the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, he's using uh, some of the words and images given by the prophet Isaiah. And we'll look at that later on. But at this point, let's just look at what he says, the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. You see, the Leonids of 1833, the meteor shower, of 1833 was unique. Nothing like that happened before, and nothing like that will probably happen until maybe when the future returns. Okay, what was what was unique about it? Well, according to those who researched it, not only did the number of meteors uh, make the Leonids of 1833 famous and spectacular, just the mere volume of falling stars that took place on that day makes it spectacular and kind of stand out in history. But there it is, the unique pattern of the meteors falling from the sky onto the earth was also unique, very different. The pattern was most unique in the sense that the shooting stars seem to originate from a circular space in the heaven, located in the zenith, according to some accounts, or a little bit southeast from the zenith, according to others, from one common center, meteors were observed to shoot off in all directions towards the horizon. And so according to a scientist who described uh, the Leonids of 1833, the meteor shower of November 13, 1833, what he noticed was, when you look up in space, the stars created a pattern. And this pattern created a, an axis, a cylindrical axis, so that within that axis, that cylindrical space, it was empty. And the stars were falling from the circumference of the cylindrical space. To give you a better idea, that's Earth, and there's the, the source of where the stars are falling. So the stars are coming out of the circumference of that cylinder. And so when you look at the cylinder, it's all empty space. So it created like this big circular space of nothingness. And outside that big circular space, guess what? You have all these stars falling down. And so if you were underneath that space, this is how it would look like. And so it was phenomenal. Nothing like that ever happened before, and nothing like that ever happened since. It was unique to the Leonid uh, experience of 1833. And so the stars were falling off and to the horizon of the earth off of this circular or this circumference. This is why when people who witnessed the event and they drew, they drew the falling of the stars, this is how they drew it. If you notice, what do you notice about the falling stars? This is how they drew the event, the, the witnesses, the artists who were there. What do you notice? You notice the circular shapes? Yeah, they notice a big circular shape of emptiness. And so this reminds us of Isaiah the prophet, which we believe Apostle John was using because they're describing about an unusual cosmic phenomena in Isaiah 34 verse 4. All the hosts of heaven, which are the stars, right, shall be dissolved. And the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. Have you ever seen? A scroll that's rolled up? How does that look like? A cylinder. It looks like the anatomy of the empty space 
that people saw when this event was taking place. There was a cylindrical space, like a roll, like the heavens rolled up. And as the heavens rolled up, all their hosts, the stars, shall be dissolved and falls, fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as fruit falling from a fig tree. And so the, this cosmic phenomena was described by Isaiah. It was also described by the Apostle John, right? And so they describe it with this circular space, this cylindrical space like a scroll when it's rolled up, because when a, when a scroll is not rolled up, it's, it's flat. But if you roll it up, it's cylindrical in space. And from that cylindrical space, you find the stars kind of dissolving off of that cylindrical space. And this is what you have, exactly the way the prophet Isaiah describes it, and exactly the way the Apostle John describes it. Like the sea receded as a scroll is rolled up when it is, and then that's when the, the stars began to fall, just like the fruits of the fig tree would fall when shaken by a mighty wind. This is why we believe the fulfillment of that event was the Leonid meteor shower of 1833, and it was unique because of the pattern it produced. So we have the Lisbon earthquake, 1755, the dark day in New England, uh, 1780, and then the meteor shower of 1833. But that's not the only event. There's another one. It says here, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. One pause for a while. How many here believe this was fulfilled? Every mountain, every island was moved out of its place. Is that fulfilled? You might say, no, I don't think that's, I don't think that was fulfilled. I think that's a reading to be fulfilled because that's going to be cataclysmic, right? The mountains, the islands were moved out of its place. And there are those who try to spiritualize this and say the mountains and the islands represent government leaders. But that's not found in the text. You read the context of the text. These are natural events, natural phenomena taking place. You can't have a natural phenomena, natural phenomena, natural phenomena, and then, oh, oh, this represents a government leaders and kings. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the context, right? And so these are all natural phenomena that's been somehow influenced to create something terrifying and awe-inspiring. And so here we have a mount, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. We believe this was fulfilled literally. What can move every mountain and island out of its place? Could it be an earthquake? Is it possible for an earthquake to create or to cause islands to be displaced and mountains to be moved out of its place? What do you think? Possible. I mean, if earthquakes could do that, it should be an earthquake that's powerful and has a certain magnitude level, right? And it could be a mega thrust earthquake because a mega thrust earthquake or earthquakes are powerful. They measure at least a magnitude nine on the Richter scale, and it's and magnitude nine earthquakes only happen when the plates are are called subduction, when they are in a subduction zone. Okay. Now, for us to talk about the subduction zone, we have to talk about plate tectonics. We studied that in school how the continents are on different plates and the plates move. Sometimes when two, two plates collide, one goes under, one goes on top. And so we have what is called a subduction zone. And so this is an example of subduction zone. We have uh, tectonic plates. We have, a, we have uh, two plates made of lithosphere. And when they kind of move in together, subduction takes place. So what is subduction? 
it is the process of the oceanic lithosphere colliding with and descending beneath the continental lithosphere. And so you have oceanic, oceanic lithosphere of crust and plates, and you have continental lithosphere, and when they move together, one goes underneath and causes a subduction zone. The subduction zone is important because at the subduction zone, that's where you find mega thrust earthquakes. And an example of a mega thrust earthquake is the Sunda mega thrust. You notice a strange country right in the middle of all that, right? This is like an earthquake zone. Notice that earthquake zone? What country is there that we are all familiar with? Philippines, right? That's not, we're not, this is why we're not surprised. The Philippines are always experience a lot of earthquakes, right? Japan also, because it's very near the Sunda mega thrust. The Sunda mega thrust is one of the most seismogenic structures known on Earth and causes vertical displacement or slipping of tectonic plates in the region during earthquakes. Historically, giant mega thrust earthquakes have occurred in this region in the year 1797. Look at that. 1833, 1861, 2004, 2005, and 2007, with the one that occurred in 1833 it was a mega thrust earthquake and it occurred at a subduction zone called the Sunda mega thrust. And when was this fulfilled? When the mega thrust earthquake hit the island of Sumatra on November 24, 1843, the earth shook terribly in the province of Benkulu for five minutes and in the city of Padang for three minutes, both in the West Sumatra of Indonesia. The great earthquake of March 11, 2011, shook Japan for about three to five minutes. If you still remember a terrible Japan earthquake in 2011, that was about for five minutes, three to five minutes. So it's about the same type of earthquake. So you can kind of compare those earthquakes. This one in Indonesia was very powerful. It took place November 24, 1833. And because of this earthquake, what happened? What happened because of this earthquake? Well, there were there are many ways in which scientists and geologists and paleontologists even you go there and they look at clues. For example, they look at what happened to, to certain corals and they're able to make measurements and determine activities that took place after the 1833 earthquake. And according to these scientists, uh, they estimate that after the earthquake in 1833, there was an emergence of the Mentawai Menta, Islands. The Mentawai Islands, you see there at the green, right? It's right across Sumatra. And so there's a, that's where between Sumatra and the uh, Mentawai Islands, you have the subduction zones. That's where the earthquake occurred. When the earthquake occurred, something happened to the Mentawai Islands. According to the scientists, because of the subduction zone, right? There was an emergence. In other words, the Mentanao Islands kind of rose, rose up a little bit for about two to three meters 
as a result of 13 meter tectonic plates slipping at the subduction zones. By emergence, it means that there was a vertical uplift of the Mampanawi Islands, which increased towards the trench as a result of the giant earthquake at the Sunda Mega Thrust and the 180 kilometer of outer arc ridge represented by the Pagai Islands and Sephora Islands. Uh, the Pagai Islands and the Sephora Islands are part of the Mentawai uh, Islands. And so it, it experienced substantial uplift during the 1833 earthquake and also a horizontal tilting towards the mainland. So the island, the Mentawai Islands, it was displaced upwards and also towards the Sumatra Islands. So the islands physically moved. It was moved out of its place. Just like it says here, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Well, how about the mountains? When earthquakes of magnitude 9 takes place, it creates, not dramatic, but it creates changes in all the land masses. What's the proof of that? Well, when 2010's earthquake, the, the Chilean earthquake, which was magnitude 8.8, .8, which is close enough, right, something happened, according to NASA, after the mega earthquake of magnitude 8.8 .8 in Chile, February 27, 2010, the Earth's axis was shifted by 2.7 million arc seconds, about 8 centimeters or 3 inches. As a result of the Chilean earthquake, the Earth's mass moved vertically and effectively shifted the Earth's figure axis. In addition, the length of day was estimated to be shortened by about 1.26 microseconds. This was produced by an 8.8 .8 earthquake in Chile. And so it caused a shift in the axis. Now, what causes a shift in the axis? Well, we were given an opportunity to study that because another mega earthquake took place in Japan in 2011, 2010 in Chile, 2011, Japan. And so scientists got a chance to study it. How do you cause a tilting of the axis? <laughs> well, a magnitude 9.0 megathrust earthquake in Japan that occurred on March 11, 2011, resulted in the shifting of the Earth's crust and axis. According to NASA, the redistribution of the Earth's land masses due to the earthquake in Japan caused the Earth's axis to shift by about 6.5 inches and shorten the length of day by about 1.8 microseconds. And so according to the scientists, the reason why the Earth's axis shifted is because the land masses of the Earth, well, it was displaced, it was redistributed. Of course, it's going to shift the, uh, the center of the, the Earth, of the, of the sphere. It's going to shift the, the axis. Dr. Richard Gross, a research scientist in the geodynamics and space GODC group at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, explained that the Earth's rotation changed due to the shifting of its axis and was mainly due, get this, to the global displacement. What does displacement mean? It's moved out of its place and rearrangement of mass. So the earthquake caused the mass, the land masses of the Earth, to be displaced, to be rearranged. He further explained that with such great earthquakes, the movement of Earth can be measured as much as many feet. It moved by feet, right? At the epicenter of the earthquake, but even a few thousand kilometers away, you can still have displacements of a millimeter or so. And so theoretically, 
And according to principle, when you think about it, when you have a, a mega thrust earthquake, it affects all the land masses. At the epicenter, it affects the land mass displacing by, a, 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 by feet. You can be measured in feet. It's farther away, perhaps halfway around the globe, it's maybe millimeter, millimeters or so. Nevertheless, it still moves out of its place. In fact, in Japan, right, in the earth happened, in one of the GPS stations, one of the GPS stations actually moved 13 feet. It screwed up the GPS 13 feet in its position as a result of the major earthquake. In other words, an earthquake of such magnitude produces changes in locations of every landmass on Earth. This was for the earthquake in Japan. The mega first earthquake at Sumatra, one point four, was estimated a magnitude of 9.2. And so if the earthquake in Japan created a displacement landmasses, all the more the earthquake in Sumatra that took place in 1833, which is why we believe every mountain and every island literally and physically was moved out of its place. This would prove to be precise and accurate a statement as there is in the Holy Bible. And so we know that these events, which have taken place sequentially, the Lisbon earthquake, November 1, 1755, followed by the Dark Wave of England, May 19, 1780, then the Leonid meteor shower with its unique pattern that makes it look like a scroll when it's scrolled up, November 13, 1833, the Sumatra Megaplus earthquake, November 24, 1833, all took place sequentially, one after the other. And that is what's fascinating about these four events. These four events are not only unique in and of themselves, right? Not only because of how impactful they were when it occurred, but also what it did as far as history was concerned. So it was impactful. What makes it even more fascinating is how they are grouped together in a certain timeline. Because the Bible tells us in Revelation, the sequence of events of the earthquake, followed by the sun becoming black, the moon becoming like blood. This is followed by the stars of heaven falling to the earth. I mean, every mountain and island moved out of its place. And that timeline, that sequence, is what we find in the historical sequence of the Lisbon earthquake, the dark day, the meteor shower, and the Sumatra Megafrost earthquake. Not only that, if you notice, when we show you this world map, right, the opening of the sixth seal, the first event took place where? Where did it take place? The first event of the sixth seal. In Lisbon. Do you know where Lisbon is at? Right there. The center. Started in Lisbon, right? And then the two, the next two events, the dark day and the falling stars, that took place there in the United States, in New England. And then the last event took place, the fourth event, all the way there in Sumatra. And so this is collectively, it's a global event, right? Started out there in Europe, but it affected all the way Af all the way throughout Europe and, Af and Africa. And then we went to the far west, went to the west, and then we went to the far east. So it was global in scope. This is why this, the events of the sixth seal depicted in the book of Revelation 
is really remarkable because the historical events match precisely the prophetic events that was foretold long ago when the Apostle John wrote about it. But not only that, not only does the Bible give us the sequential events of the events of the sixth seal, not only is it global collectively, it also tells us of the effect it will have upon all kinds of people. Because if you read uh, verse 15, it mentions, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, the slave and free men, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountain rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. So according to the scriptures, verse 15 is telling us the effect. The effect of these four events. What does it say? Bible says the kings of the earth and the great men, what do they do? These powerful men, powerful men, the religious, religious leaders, the politicians, the designations, what happened to them? All of them. It says they hid themselves in caves. When you look at the Greek word for caves, it actually means den, a place where they can be gathered together for safety. And so when these events took place, it caused people, even leaders of nations, to be so afraid they were seeking safety in their dens, in the rocks or the mountains, because they were afraid. What were they afraid of? What did they say? You notice what they said? Fall on us and hide, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. And so according to the book of Revelation, the events of the sixth year is going to cause people to be afraid because it will cause people to believe that it's already the end of the world. It's the wrath of the Lamb, the day of Yahuwah, the day of Yahusha has already come. This is why when we look at the 1755 to 1833, when it was fulfilled, it caused fear of judgment. Many people thought when these events were taking place, it was already judgment day. And it was already the end of the world. And we, in fact, we can take a look at that. For example, Lisbon earthquake, November 1, 1755. What do you notice about that day? What do you notice about that day? November 1, 1755. November 1. What do you notice about, what, what do you know about November 1? Yeah, November 1 happens to be All Saints Day, right? And Catholicism was really, really the uh, religion in Europe, especially there in Spain, Portugal. That was the heart of Catholicism. And that's where, uh, that was also the heart of the Inquisition. And they were having a celebration for All Saints Day, November 1, 1755. And then the earthquake happens. At this point, many of the people, they were in the chapels. They were in places of worship, the Catholic Church. And so, and then all of a sudden the earthquake comes. And so the earthquake hit Lisbon at 940 in the morning. By this time, the churches were full of people attending the first Mass of All Saints Day. Many churches were filled up to their seating capacities. Right? And when the earthquake hits the city of Lisbon, 30 of the 40 churches collapse, killing many inside the church building. Survivors ran for their lives, but were soon, soon struck by the tsunami waves. Fire in various places caused more fatalities, resulting in a massive death toll. And so when this happened, in a place known for Inquisition, when the earthquake devastated 
this place known for Catholicism, when this happened, this Great Lisbon earthquake, what did the people begin to think? Well, the Great Lisbon earthquake resulted in an intense, I mean, intense discussion over its cause and led many religious people to fear God's judgment, examine themselves to repentance and acknowledge God's divine involvement in nature, the punishment of the sinful. And so they were, they were beginning to rethink about the Inquisition. Are we doing the right thing? They were beginning to rethink maybe we're in the wrong, that God is punishing us. As a result, the practice of Inquisition was terminated in Portugal, and Marques de Pomal continued to rebuild the city of Lisbon, taking care of the burial of 30,000 to 60,000 corpses, medical services for the injured, distribution of food, taxation, and security. And so because of this, many people began to think this was God's punishment upon the world. Well, how about the dark day in New England? What was the response of the people? Well, they, here's a poem about the dark day. <laughs> I mean, it was so unusual, someone created a poem. Jane Greenfield Whittier made a poem about the dark day. Men prayed and women wept. All ears grew sharp to hear the doom blast of the trumpet shatter. So we're waiting for the trumpet. The black sky, the, that dreadful face of Christ might look from the red clouds, not as he looked. A loving guest at Bethany, but stern as justice and inexorable law. He <laughs> created a, a poem because they believed it was already judgment day that Yahusha, the Christ, has already come. In fact, many unusual, I mean, when this dark day then happened, According to clergyman diarist Timothy Dwight, most people believe it was Judgment Day. It was imminent. Many people gathered in the places of worship for prayer, and they were waiting for the sound of the trumpet. They were in the places of worship, and everyone was waiting for the sound of the trumpet. You know, eventually, days passed with no trumpet, right? And so eventually people forget it. But many tracts and sermons explain the occurrence of a dark day in light of the end-time prophecy in the Bible. So they actually believe it was already Judgment Day, and then it, and they were alerted about the end of the world. Even the politicians and authorities in the legislature were religious and sought to be found faithful before God. And so many people began to be afraid, believing it was the end of the world. Even the Leonid meteor shower, uh, the heaviness of this Leonid storm, both shocked and later brought greater awareness to humanity, where little had existed before regarding such happenings. In the midst of this lustral event, reactions range from awe to abject fear. These included Mormon leader Joseph Smith recorded a note in his diary that the event signaled the impending arrival of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And even slave owners, and because back then there were many, many slave owners, big stars coming down real close to the ground, and just before they hit the ground, they would burn up. We was all scared. Some of the folks were screaming, and some was praying. We all made such no. Uh, we all made so much noise. The white folks came out to see what was happening. They looked up, and then they got scared too. And so this was one of the diaries of the slaves. But then the white folks started calling all the slaves together, and for no reason, they started telling some of the slaves who their mothers and fathers was and who they've been sold to and where. The old folks were so glad to hear uh, where their people went. They made sure we all knew what happened, you see. They thought it was Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah, the slave owners were so terrified that Judgment Day was nigh that they started making spur-of-the-moment apologies and 
reparation for those they held in bondage. So many people thought it was the end of the world during these events. Many people thought it was Judgment Day. This is why in the Holy Scriptures it mentions that, you know, that, that quote, if you notice the quotation, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. Take note, the one who said this is not Yahuwah. The one who said this is not Yahusha. Who said this? The people. The people who witness these events. They're the ones who think, we're going to say, this is already their wrath. This is judgment day. But it's not yet the end. Right? It's only the sixth seal. It's not yet the end. The sixth seal gives us a prelude to the ends of the earth. The events that will take place during the seventh and last seal. Which is why the final, the, the sixth seal event is kind of like a warning. A warning before the warning, if you can call it that. And it uses cataclysmic events, natural events that are influenced in such a way to create a kind of awareness for Yahuwah and Yahusha. Because the events of the sixth year accompany the, the, the advent of the Yahuwah and Yahusha. When you look at the events of the sixth year, the earthquake, you got the sun becoming black, the moon, the moon becoming blood, and you have, what else you have there? You have the, uh, the fallen stars. These events, stars, the events in the heavens and on the earth, these events are very, very provoking, creating a thirst and a hunger and an awareness for Yahuwah and Yahusha, right? It kind of get, develops a sense of reverence and awe to make people want to search out Yahuwah and Yahusha because they see that despite humanity's power and wisdom, despite their best efforts and their achievements in science and technology, when they see these natural events, it reminds them, you know what, even though I'm smart and powerful, when these events are taking place, I'm really powerless. And so it reminds humanity about the place, about their limits, that they cannot trust in their own power and ability, that they need to look elsewhere, they need to look above themselves. And so these cataclysmic natural events that are taking place, its purpose is to point us to Yahuwah, to point us to Yahusha. That's why these events often are associated with the advent of Yahuwah and of Yahusha, the day of Yahuwah, and the Yahusha. And this is what our King Yahusha even tells us that will prepare us, that will create that desire to know more about Yahusha. This is what our King says in Luke 21, 25, 26. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which, which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. So our King Yahushua tells us that right before he comes, there's going to be events that will take place, one after the other. And its purpose is to give us warning. Its purpose is to create awareness and to create a sense of awe so that we will come to the understanding that our human capacities, our abilities to solve problems, has its limitations. And we are forced to look above for the solutions to what plagues society. And so these events are going to take place, and its purpose is to get humanity to stop relying on self and begin to look up and rely on who? Our King Yahushua. And so Yahushua says, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. 
right? And according to NASA, according to scientists, 2025 is the schedule of the next big solar storm, 2025, because that's when we are entering a period of solar maximum. Something took place about 165 years ago. It was, it was an event that was considered the biggest geomagnetic storm in the history of the world. And it might happen again. Back then, because people did not rely on the internet, on electronics, it didn't really affect them much. But back then, every electronic device was fried. <laughs> and not only that, if you had an electrically powered device, even if, you're not, if you didn't plug it, it can still work because it's still producing, the energy in the sky is able to power it. So if you had like a clock that was unplugged, the energy from the sky would, 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 would power it, even after the event has already happened. And so it was a mutual phenomenon. And it might happen again. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if this happened in 2025? What would happen to the internet? What would happen to people who depend on computers and electronics? That's practically the whole country, the whole nation, the whole world, right? And so something to really prepare ourselves for. And many countries today are actually preparing for this period of solar maximum. Not only that, you know, asteroids and comets and meteors, sometimes we miss them, and all of a sudden they're there already. And so it's something to be on the lookout for. Signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. What else? The earth, the stress of nations with perplexity. I mean, people today, what's bringing about a lot of stress in the lives of people today? Financial crimes, hardship, recession, depression, right? People are losing money. There's a lot of poverty going on in the world today. And many people are perplexed. They don't know what to do about it. When they can create more money, print out more paper, but you're driving inflation, what are you going to do, right? The pandemic is causing people to kind of go into um, paranoid mode. People are doing things in extremes, and a lot of people are causing the stock market to really fluctuate. And so there's a lot of uncertainties when it comes to um, people's livelihood. Not only that, uh, the stress of nations it's not just about making money and about resources, it's also about war and violence. And now so many people are engaging war and there's a lot of tension between Israel and Russia and Syria and Iraq and other places. There's brewing war between China, Taiwan, involving the United States as well. And so there's a lot of distress between the nations. Not only that, after that, it says the sea and the waves warning. This is a description of climate-related weather change, right? And this is happening now. As a matter of fact, according to researchers, the global weather mega disasters is costing 20 billion from 1980 to 2021. You can look at how much is costing the world. I mean, just look at what's happening in the world just recently. The floods in Europe, right? Unprecedented. Nothing like that's happened before. The flood in Pakistan. One third of the countries underwater. I mean, that took place when people they had no idea this was even possible. Not just there, but even in the United States, the three tri-state tri -state counties declared disaster zones due to deadly flooding. But in our own backyard, we have a problem with heat waves, right? 
the most extreme heat wave in world history. July 2021 was called, called the Earth's warmest month in world history. Now it's going to be yesterday, September. August, September 2022 is now the warmest month in recorded history because all over California, brutal heat wave shatters all time records. I mean, shatters all time records. And we who live in California can attest to this. It even threatened the power out, power outages across California, and the hurricane could even prolong it. And this what happened to us yesterday. We had a power outage yesterday because of the heat wave. And we have not just power outages, but we have fire outbreaks all over northern and southern California. So you have fire, you got heat waves, you got flooding, the perplexity to see in the waves roaring. And then something is right before Yahusha comes. He mentions the powers of heaven will be shaken. And so the powers that drive the meteors and comets and the stars and the moon and the sun, something's going to happen to them. It will be shaken. The word shaken is motion produced. It's going to agitate. It's going to cause it to be in motion. So we know Yahuwah and Yahusha, they have control over the forces of nature. So they can make it do whatever it wants. Which is why we believe that when Yahuwah, on his day, because the Bible mentions about the day of the Lord, the day of Yahuwah, which is an event that will take place first when Yahusha returns, and it will continue for a thousand years, and the whole day is about a thousand years. So the day of Yahusha, the day of Yahuwah, is associated with events that are natural phenomena, but at the same time, awe-inspiring phenomena. This is why when we look at the events of the sixth sea of the Lisbon, the earthquakes, of course, the dark day, the meteor shower, these are events that are natural events, but influence in some way to provoke awe, right? And so the earthquake, the sun becoming dark and moon like blood, um, heavens rolling like a scroll and the stars dissolving. When you look at earthquakes, do you know what earthquakes are associated with? In Revelation 11, 15, 19, the seventh angel sounded, the seventh angel of the seventh seal, what is that called? The seventh trumpet. So when the last trumpet is blown, there are loud voices in heaven. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, an earthquake and great hail. And so when Yahuwah and Yahusha make their judgment known to man, it is accompanied by naturalistic events, but events that capture your attention, right? Like earthquakes, like lightnings and thunderings. They happen all the time, but in a dramatic way. It's going to be seen and is going to point to Yahusha. It's going to point to heaven. And so that's going to happen on the trumpet, earthquake. How about sun becoming dark and moon like blood? Acts 2, 19.1. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of snow. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahuwah. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah shall be See, notice the important events in history were marked by the presence of Yahuwah in some way, in some dramatic fashion. And so before the day of Yahuwah comes, 
there's going to be signs in heaven. Signs shall be turned into darkness and then into blood. You will not be surprised if that dark day in New England will happen again, right? It's going to happen again. And this time to announce the coming of Yahusha on the day of Yahuwah. And what will cause him to mean Yahuwah shall be saved. How about the heavens roll like a scroll and stars dissolve? In Isaiah 34, 1 and 4, come near the nations to hear and heed you people, let the earth hear. And so this is judgment against all the earth because it says, and all that is in it. The world and all things have come forth from it. The indignation, for the indignation of Yahuwah is against all nations and his fury against all their armies. This sounds a lot like what's going to happen in Armageddon when Yahushua returns with all of his angels and his bride behind him. And he's going to remove the, uh, the kings of the earth and its armies and place the Millennium Kingdom. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from the corpses and the mountains shall be melted with the blood. Take note verse 4. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. Doesn't this sound like a meteor shower? The unique pattern of the meteor shower that took place in 1833. It could be that when Yahushua returns for his second advent to rule over the world, it could be that's how it's going to happen. There's going to be this circular circular shape in the heavens, followed by the falling of dissolving stars that will fall from it. And it's possible because if you read Revelation 19, it says the heavens open, and from that circular disk, that cylindrical space, maybe that's where Yahushua is going to come from. That would be nice indeed. And so what we have here are what Yahushua is talking about, the powers of heaven will be shaken. Something's going to move these cosmic happenings, these cosmic events, to be obeyed in such a way to announce and prepare the advent of Yahushua when he comes back to rule over the entire world. And so when all these events are going to take place, and a lot of them are already taking place right now, we're just waiting for the last one, one highlighted in yellow. But once all that happens, what does Yahushua tell us to do? They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, it's already beginning to happen, right? It's already beginning to happen. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. The purpose of those events, the signs and the stars, the sun, the moon, the perplexity that will distress nations, the events that will cause climactic changes because of the roaring tides and the roaring waves, all this is supposed to get us to stop relying on self and look up. Look up to who? Look up to the Son of Man. Look up to Yahushua to place our trust in Him. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is why, brothers and sisters, what should we do? Because all these events are already taking place. And we know our redemption draws near. In Matthew 24, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What does our King Yahushua tell us? Because our redemption draws near because of the events taking place in the world today. The Bible says we have to watch. 
What does we need to watch? We need to prepare. We need to long for the appearing of our King, Yahushua, so that we can receive our redemption, including the redemption of our bodies, so that we will no longer be sick, so that our bodies will become glorious like the body of our King, Yahushua. And so while we wait, while we watch for the return of our King, Yahushua, what must we be busy in doing? Let's continue reading 45 to 46, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It would be good for that servant whose master finds him doing. So when he returns, what must we do? While we watch for the return of our king, let us be busy in doing what we're supposed to be doing. Because if we are faithful and wise servants, and our king, Yahushua comes, he will find us doing what has been entrusted to us, the works given to the assembly. We must fulfill these works. We must be watchful, not in a passive way. We must be watchful and waiting in an active way. How so? We must fulfill the work given to us by our king, Yahushua. When he said back in the book of Acts chapter 1, that we are to testify about him. We are to tell people all over the world about him about the work of salvation so that people can be saved when he returns. This is our work. We have to do this. We have to be found doing that work, not opposing that work, but doing that work. And while we do this work, but also as our King instructs us to do, let's read the final passages of our study today in the book of Luke 21, 34 to 36. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dull by carousing and drunkenness by the worries of this life and let that day catch you unaware like a trap for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the son of man what must we do while we watch and wait while we engage in the work of our lord our king yahushua bible says we have to protect our heart we study this in our previous DQA last Tuesday. We have to protect our heart. You know why? Because that's the target of the enemy. The enemy, the adversary, the devil will target our heart. And how does he target our heart? He's looking for an opening. You know what an opening looks like for the devil? When you have anger, when you have bitterness, when you have hatred in your heart, that's an opening. Don't give him that opening. This is why we have to protect our heart. We need to make sure we are living and practicing love and kindness and compassion and mercy, willing to forgive, no matter what has been done against us. That is the heart that we must protect, so that the devil can touch it. However, our King Yahushua also tells us about how our, how our hearts can be destroyed. How? When it becomes dull. Right? It can be, it can be dirty and filthy by bitterness. But it can also become dull and useless, no longer sharp and functioning well. It becomes ineffective. When does our heart become dull? When we're so busy with carousing and drunkenness. Nowadays, so many people are so focused on entertainment, right? The next vacation, um, we watch NBA, NFL, and there's nothing wrong with watching NBA, NFL, nothing wrong with enjoying a concert, nothing wrong with enjoying your life. So many people today, their vacations and their cruises and their entertainment has become their religion. That's become their focus. 
No longer is their focus on King Yahushua. And so what they long for, what they really, really fix their attention upon, carousing and drunkenness and merriment, brethren, and that is the case for us, our hearts can become dull. Like we say, we, there's nothing wrong. We're getting, taking a vacation, nothing wrong with seeking entertainment. We need, we need rest and relaxation. But we must not lose focus on our team. But also can cause our hearts to become dull. The worries of this life, the suffering in this life, when you're so fixed on your problems, when you're so fixed on your, the cares of this life and the worries and the anxiety, it makes the heart dull and useless and ineffective. And so, brethren, we have to go to our king. We need to focus on him so that we can be strong enough. How can we be strong enough? We have to pray. And when we pray, invite our King Yahushua to enter our hearts. Never, never fail to mention that in the prayer. Every time you pray, ask our King, please, dwell in my heart. Because when he dwells in our heart, from him comes forth like the spring of living water, and we're strengthened. And that strength is what will enable us to overcome the horrors that will take place so that we can be strong, strong enough to stand before the Son of Man. We cannot be strong on our own. We cannot. This is, the, this is the purpose of the six seal. The six seal events remind us that we're not strong enough. We're not. Purpose of the cosmic events that often accompany the advent of our King Yahushua. The purpose is to remind us we're not good enough. We need Yahushua. And so this is what the Bible is telling us. Let them stop relying on self, rely on the power and strength of our King Yahushua. That he will help us to endure until the end and receive him when he returns on the appointed time. That is our lesson. We will stand and we shall pray again. Everlasting Abba, merciful Yahuwah Alahim, your people, we, members of the assembly that bears the name of your son, Yahusha, we gather before you to thank you for the blessings that you have given us. Thank you, loving Abba. You are so good and kind. You always do what is right and what is just. But we are so, so thankful because you are also compassionate, merciful, and filled with unfailing love. If it were not so, none of us would be here now. You are preparing our minds and our hearts because you will soon send your beloved son. Help us that we may be watchful. Help us that we may be renewed in vigor to do everything that you command us to, to preach, to live out your Ten Commandments. Help us to be your instruments in proclaiming the way of salvation. Our King Yahushua, we know we are getting closer and closer to the day when you will return. The signs that you have given us point to you that we cannot rely on human strength. We need you in our life. Please manifest yourself. We ask and beg of you dwell, please, in our hearts. Make your home in our hearts. We will do our best to cleanse it, to make it a proper place for you. Please help us and teach us what we need to do to properly repent that you can be in our life, be in our heart, that we can be strong, that we can stand before you when you finally return. Father, bless everyone here. Help us to do our best. 
to remain faithful unto you, to be focused on your work for your glory, to be heavenly minded, to anticipate the great days ahead, because these days are what you created us for, to enjoy fellowship with you forevermore in your heavenly kingdom. We believe, Father, that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.